Good morning, everyone. I wanted to uh, start by putting this up on the screen. I'm probably going to, so, yeah, there we go. I forgot to tick the timer off. <laughs> I'll leave it off. Um, I wanted to show you that picture of all the men that we're supporting based upon the financial report from last week. One of the goals that I had for this year and starting this month was to promote the men that we are supporting so that you get at least a verbal report of what's going on, something more than just um, what they might send an email. Because some of you may not see the attachments. Maybe when Janice Good was sending them, um, there was attachments like from Scott Tope of who we're speaking of this morning. Um, but I think it makes it more intimate that we get to actually know the men that we are financially supporting, that we have genuine fellowship with them. And, and it's kind of hard to have fellowship when you're disconnected from them. But when you get to know more of what's going on, you get a personal um, report that maybe you feel a little closer to them, um, more invested from a financial standpoint in, in what's being contributed to their evangelistic efforts. And so I'm going to talk just for a couple of minutes once each month. So next March, the first Sunday of March and April and May, we'll go through different evangelists that we support and then rotate over, over time, updated reports. Um, that said... This is Scott and his wife, Shara Tope, and their sons, Dean, um, Arissa, and Aubrey. And I don't know them personally other than the reports that they've been sharing, but he is one of our brethren that gives monthly reports um, very regularly. And it's just tremendous, the things that are going on. In fact, last month there were 26 baptisms. Um, that our brother was engaged with in spreading the gospel in various parts. But I want to give you an idea of where he's at. Sometimes you hear South Africa. Well, he is in southern part of Africa, but not in the country of South Africa. So just to give you a little picture of where he's at, he's in a country called Botswana, and Botswana is just north of South Africa. It's landlocked. And if you were to uh, zoom in in this area of Botswana, in the country, they're in the northwestern part of their country. And I'm not sure if you can see that here. That's basically the uh, Okavango Delta, if I'm saying it properly. That's where they are, and that's, it's just absolutely tremendous. You have these mountains up over here. Uh, it's north of this picture right here, the Angola Mountains. And every year, that's where the rainfall just comes down. It takes months, literally, I think up to three months, for the water to finally get down to where they are. Uh, just tremendous. Um, so they're in a, just an amazing region um, of Botswana. And they are in the very northern part of the panhandle of this Okavango uh, Delta area, right over here. So if you look more closely, zoomed in, this is where they live, basically. I don't even know how to pronounce it. In Naxmasere, I'm not sure how you say that. I can't even, I can't even do all the glottal and, and extra stuff that they're doing. It's just phenomenal. But uh, a lot of rich history, um, as far as world history, in this region of, of Africa. But here's the thing that I want you to learn about our brother in Christ and the work that he is doing. Um, again, every month he does the reports and... This report is from a year ago. In fact, in November and December of 2015 was a pretty treacherous times for our brother when he was preaching. And if you read the report, it's just, just phenomenal, actually. 
Um, in this particular report in this year, let me see if I can get to it. Yeah, here's what he says. And in fact, if you've got your bulletin with you, there is a, a story of which he recounts what had happened. And part of the reason why in today, um, he recently purchased a bulletproof vest um, just because of the dangers in sharing the gospel. But this I found very poignant in what he was saying in this, in this particular report from a year ago. Shara and I were reminded of the very real dangers of taking the word to the lost of Africa. Heading to the townships, I kiss my wife and children, not knowing this will be my last time. Let that sink in. And we think of police officers and firefighters, uh, men and women in the military, just various types of service where you may not come home because you've been killed. Um, in this particular hijacking hotspot location, imagine having a sign instead of deer crossing, <laughs> hijacking hotspot. They were going into uh, areas, and this is true of other parts of the world as well, where um, they're outside of the city limits and there was a police officer that pulled them over. Well, things just didn't seem right because they were further out of town than normally when there's these stops. And basically they were, they're being ambushed. The driver had to speed off and when he did, he knocked bodies out of the way. So there may have been people who have been killed, but otherwise they believe that they would have been killed. So this gives you an idea of the kind of work that our brother's going on just so he can preach the gospel. This is where your money is going as we give money to the Lord. And so in the report that you have, and if you did not get one, I left some on the foyer table. I also have left some right over here uh, on this table here for you to pick up. Um, again, because it's really good reading that you get, get to know what's going on in his work. But basically, in this particular report, um, as... In addition to the support that we provide for him and his family, he's asking for some finances for furthering his spread of the gospel in the southern part of Africa. And so if you have any desire to help him with that, you can send your checks right over here. Again, it's in the report. I just wanted to share that with you. And hopefully every month, just a few minutes, I'm talking about these men. They do a tremendous job for the cause of Christ. And I'm so very glad that we are supporting them. Just Don was sharing with me what the treasury situation was like years and years ago. He said when just paying the water bill was difficult for the congregation. And here we've got approximately $50,000 budgeted this year to, to send to these men in sharing the gospel, of which we are just absolutely grateful for, for that blessing. All right, to the sermon. Um, this week... Maybe not quite as short as last week's sermon, but it's, it's on the shorter side. Don't get used to it. It's not like I've teached long. I hope you don't think it's long. Uh, but a very small but very important point that I want to make because I, what I see, um, statements, what I hear in, in statements or what I see on social media, I only am on Facebook. I'm not on any other, I don't tweet or <laughs> Instagram or Pinterest or whatever other things there are, but Facebook I liked. And in fact, I remember the first time I got on Facebook, my mom, 73-year-old mom, got me on Facebook, of all people. And it was because I was able to communicate with her. And I love that about Facebook. And uh, even last night, I finally had, finally had to say something. I put it out because 
it's very discouraging, uh, very wearisome to me when I see some of the things that I've been seeing recently. And not so much by people of the world. I get it. They're going to be this way. But when, when it's brethren, yeah. I got to say something. So I'm using the pulpit as this means to share this because, well, what is our responsibility? What is our role as Christians? How do we function in situations? And I remember uh, last fall, even Malia asked me, Dad, what, what is our role as Christians when things aren't going the way it needs to go, you know, in society? And so I said, that's a very difficult question. I said, I can't I can't text the answer back to you. I said, we're going to have to spend a lot of time opening up God's word and dealing with this discussion um, and not just, you know, in 120 words or less or characters. I don't know what it is in, in these messages, but it takes, it takes a while. And so I have this passage in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. We could have read Romans 13. We could deal with 1 Peter uh, chapter 5 and other places that deals from a standpoint of government and our roles from that standpoint, but I want to get more specific to us as Christians in what we can do and, and what our primary roles are in relationship to the, the world that we live in. And so the first thing that comes to my mind that, that tells me that this needs to be addressed is the fact that we live in a time that is very different than any time in world history. I mean, think about it. 150 years ago, we had something called the Pony Express, and maybe it was longer than that. I'm just guessing, but not too, not too long ago. The Pony Express. And, and we've got this Western Union after that, and then the, the, um, all the, the telegraphs that would be sent. In fact, I think the last telegraph was last year. No more telegraphs, what I hear, um, after how many years or decades of the telegraph. But um, we are gone from that moment where we could share information more quickly to each other to now, it's just instant. 25 years ago, when Al Gore invented the internet, sorry, um, when, when the internet became more popular with AOL, Prodigy, and some of these other, uh, some Netscape, and some other companies that would have browsers and, and internet services, um, everything was, was just opening up, and we were like, what do we do with this? And all of a sudden, we start getting emails, and we start having websites, and then pretty soon we, we stop at some point looking at the newspaper, many of us have, and looking at our phones and tablets for our news instead of these papers. Uh, we, start, we stop looking at the yellow pages because it's right up on the internet, and pretty soon, now our directory. <laughs> we have paper directory, but we also have it in that form. It's very convenient. The thing about it is it's instant, and that's a wonderful blessing that we have instant information that's provided for us, but there is a downside that I've seen. And so whether it's the TV, whether it's radio and smart devices, 24 hours a day, it's almost like we wake up with it and we go to bed with it and everything in between is with it. And I can understand why the Hayes don't have Facebook, <laughs> you know, I mean, for a number of reasons, but there's this information overload. Well, you take information overload and you combine that with biased media, because it happens, right? Well, I mean, no longer are reporters simply just presenting news. There's bias involved in news. From a conservative vantage point, from a liberal vantage point, it's there. Very rare do you have journalism that is true or pure journalism. It's evolved. 
So you take information overload, you take biased information media coverage, and you take soundbite media, which is now where we are. I was told, and I don't know how to verify it, that today our children are growing up, get this, not with 30 minutes, you know, like you had the sitcoms that brought 30 minutes because our attention span couldn't handle much more than that. Eight seconds. I don't know if you can even grasp. Eight seconds is so short. Can you imagine the sermon being eight seconds? Don't get excited, kids. <laughs> but eight seconds. And we, stop, we, we start losing focus at that point, according to research. Well, all of this, what that means is we have something called mental clutter. It's a, it's a category that, that seems to be gaining ground as far as a term, but that we have so much in our heads and one author, and I forgot his name, John something or other, and I, I put it in the PowerPoint. I don't know why I couldn't get it up. Um, didn't see it this morning when I was verifying it, putting up on the web. Um, but he wrote this book, and it was basically along the lines of that we've got so much information. It comes in and goes right back out. It's so fast, there's no time to really digest, to assimilate. That is, to take this information and weigh the pros and cons and see whether uh, the, the veracity of it. We just get it, boom, somebody move on to the next. And all of a sudden, we take all these sound bites and we've got opinions start forming for or against individuals. And all this means is that we've lost clarity in the things that we are <laughs> reading and just a bunch of jumbled up news. And then we start formulating based upon our perspectives what we want and don't want, what we want to keep as truth without even verifying it as truth and accepting it as such. And what we have then is this information overload. And furthermore, we start getting into um, an era because of all this information that we start sharing opinions with one another. And here's what happens. So here's what I've seen over the last eight years. We have brethren, because I want to just deal with brethren, not society. Brethren who loved President Obama as President Obama. I mean, loved him. You might wonder if he could be worshipped. And then you have brethren who hated just the thought of his name and everyone in between. But you have brethren who love him or hate him. And guess what? The opposite has just happened with a new president. We have brethren that love Donald Trump. He's a savior of our country. And then we have brethren that think that he is, he is Satan. Brethren. Brethren of one mind, one faith, have such diversity of opinions of an individual whose name a president. And, and we can get into social issues where the same would be said. We've got such divergent um, views of singular issues. So here's the thing, when we're talking about when we're talking about these matters of these views, this is what I see now. I see just noise. I see distraction. I see deflection. I don't see everyone just stopping and dealing with issues right as where they are, but just moving from one thing and bouncing to the next to the next, and it's just all noise. And so I use this because on Facebook it says, the first thing you see when you sign into Facebook is what's on your mind. And boy, everyone loves hitting that thing and saying, let me tell you how smart I am, how great my opinion is, and shares it with the whole world. Did I put that little icon right over here? 
I love my voice. Because that's what we want. We want to share, you know, how great our opinions are. I mean, I think mine are great too. So I share mine. <laughs> the irony, right? The irony. But here's the thing about this. When we, when we look at this, I think we forget our primary roles as Christians, and we start looking at issues and thinking, you know what, I've, I, to be a productive citizen in this country, I've got to deal with these issues because I think they are unjust, and, and so I'm going to shout, I'm going to protest, I'm going to do all these different things. Let me see if I can go for it. Okay, yeah. This is a slide I, this is a slide I was wanting to deal with right here, that shout and do different things. And so you have these marches, right? This was the recent women's march that took place um, the day after the inauguration. And uh, supposedly many, many millions across the globe um, were involved in this march. And it's for women's rights. And of course, um, I gave a sermon just a few weeks ago about this. And, and I wasn't dealing with the veracity of, of women's rights per se, but just that these are the feelings that women have about these particular rights. And so you have women that are going in, the, um, in there because they want the right to be able to have abortions. You cannot tell me what I'm going to do with my body. You don't tell men what to do with their bodies. You shouldn't be able to tell me what to do with mine. And so they're for that reason. Maybe it's for um, work opportunities, as was mentioned a couple of weeks ago. Maybe it's for um, some other view. But bottom line is women's rights equal human's rights. Therefore, we march. And so you have things of that nature. What I wanted to have actually done was actually create a line from there down to here and have showing destruction. You know, President Obama or President Trump, you can just name what, put in Bush if you wanted. He got blamed for a lot of things as well. Um, they are destroying our country. But I wanted to have people who are riding on the streets destroying literally our country with that statement. And there's memes along those lines. Uh, for those who are young, older, words with pictures. And so he got those memes. Well, bottom line, there's a whole lot of noise that's taking place. Well, why not read what the scripture says is our role and our responsibility? Now, I'm not gonna get into every nuance because that would be a whole lot longer than the intention of the sermon. And when I get into some of the nuances later on this year, can be like, you know, what happens when, like, for instance, when we have people that came from uh, Britain to this country uh, in religious freedom, in the effort for religious freedom, and finally having the Tea Party and then so on and so forth, what, how does that affect us today? I mean, I'll get into some of those nuances. But here's the point. We just read out of 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, what our role is as Christians. And I want you to consider the timing of when this was written. Either you have uh, Titus or you have Nero that's reigning as emperor over the Roman Empire and over all the various provinces of that empire. In other words, things aren't going well if you're a Christian. It's not like they're real nice emperors. I mean, in fact, Titus himself was poisoned by his wife. It's just, this is just not godly leadership that you have. You have ungodly leadership. You'd have someone like Nero that says, yeah, city of Rome is being burned. I think we'll just blame the Christians. That's nice. No, you're, you're talking about absolute horrific leadership. 
from a moral standpoint. And the Apostle Paul tells Timothy these words. Again, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Which includes their enemies, right? And he says, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life life in all godliness and reverence this is good and acceptable in the sight of uh, inside of god and our savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth so in light of the the environment that he wrote these words when writing to timothy knowing what kind of leadership they had before them we live in times in which we may disagree with our governing authorities whether they be local, regional, or nationally. We may have things that we oppose morally or fiscally, whatever the situation is, but we are told not to be mocking or attacking our leaders, but to show respect to them and to pray for them. And that's what irritates me that I see among those who confess to be Christians. It's so easy to call our president a disrespectful term. There's no place for that in a Christian. Brethren, I want to repeat that. There's no place for that as a Christian. You can disagree, and you have the freedom in this country to be able to disagree. I think that's a great freedom that we have. Boy, we abuse it at times. We can be very disrespectful and wonder why then when we strive to evangelize, that we aren't blessed in that evangelistic effort. And so these are the things that I'm wanting you to look at. Again, I know his hair looks funny, but this is what happens. This is the way some Christians look at our, our leaders. You know, liar. You know, this could have been said either way, liar. I just got them off the, the web because this is this has come from including where I see um, profile changes and they have one of the presidents as their profile just to show disdain for the office someone said well Mitch it's not the office it's the person yeah but the person's holding that office and we ought to show respect for our leaders even if we disagree with them, even if we think they're wrong. And by the way, I have my own views, my own opinions that I think about these men. And I've shared with them at times with you. But hopefully, hopefully you remember that it is with respect, even if I have strong opinions about these individuals. Because these are men that are in position of great authority that we need to respect. So consider these things. That if we're going to be looking at and praying for our leaders, that we do so with respect. And that secondly, if we want to have change in our society, if we want to see changes, you know, I've heard it saying, well, you know, we, we're going to peacefully, peaceably march and what have you. Okay, we've, we've got those freedoms to do so. But a lot of these I'd be embarrassed to show my children some of these marches. And I think I remember the Stagners and Heinleys were 
with DC and, and they even made a post along those lines. Whether it's destruction of property, burning buildings, destroying Starbucks and, and what, what have you that, that you can see, um, vulgar acts, and that children in the presence. Well, not just children. How about Christians who are striving to shine their light for the world that would be engaged in some of these marches? Again, you have to make your decision. It's between you and God. I get that. But be aware of what you're driving, striving to do. And I know that some are striving to do it out of the goodness of their hearts, but others are associated. And again, you have that freedom but be wise in using that freedom. Be wise in opening your mouth in conversation about leadership. More than wise, have love for the very people that you disagree with. You know, God so loved this world that is his enemy that he gave his only begotten son. That's a great emulation for us when we're trying to share the gospel. And so we're told, instead of seeking to um, change people, let the gospel do that. Right? Romans chapter 1. We're told that the power is in the gospel to save lives, to change lives. We can read that all throughout the, the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Rome. We know that as Romans chapter 12, verses 18 and 19 says, as much as depend upon you, be at peace with all men. Well, guess what? If it depends upon you, then what you have control over says a lot about how much you are using that depends upon you to relay this truth. In other words, you can use that, that avenue of Facebook as your platform to save the world from all the injustices, or you can live quiet and peaceful life and, and share your opinions, but in a much more respectful manner. Because as much as it depends upon you, seek peace with all men. This is how we're told that we glorify Christ. These scriptures are explicit on how we can glorify him. So think about these things as you go through your daily walk. Particularly when right now it seems like everyone, and when I say everyone, I'm speaking from my small, minimal perspective, right? Everyone that I see from, from young to old, you know, it seems like, Facebook is my platform that I can shout out to the world just how great I am with my opinions. And we, we fail to see how great our God is and how we serve him. So keep that in mind as you go through um, these things. Finally, uh, miss. Finally, the last thing I, I want to share is out of 1 Peter chapter 4. Uh, yeah, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11, to finish off, and then we'll have the invitation song in Christ alone. So turn to 1 Peter 4. I want to use this as the parting scripture, and then after um, the invitation song, our brother Charles would like to speak to the congregation. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers because we're told to pray for everyone including our leaders be serious and watchful in your prayers and above all things have fervent love for one another for love 
will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. And as each, ha- as each has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies. That in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. If you need to turn to the Lord, come to him. He wants you to change. He wants you to be not like the way of the world, but the way of the divine, loving Father in heaven. That's what our Savior wants. And he died for you that you can have the opportunity to grow in him and to become like him. If you want to be buried with him this morning, we have a baptistry ready for you. If you want to call upon his name, if you need to turn to the Lord or return to the Lord, by all means, why not do that right now? It's together we stand and sing. is
You can be seated for just a few minutes. Uh, there's been a few things that I want to say, and I've been putting it off for a while, uh, but I decided I better go ahead and do it while I'm still able. <laughs> Mitch, that was a powerful lesson this morning, very good lesson, one that we need. Uh, a little personal history. I came, became a Christian and began active work in the church when I was 21 years old. Believe it or not, that's been 60 years. For 60 years in the church, I've seen a lot of things, a very lot of things, good and bad. It might be, there's an old saying that it probably would fit this, it's like the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, and sometime I won't take time to tell you some of the things that I've experienced, but if you're interested in that, I'd be glad to tell you later on. I want to save a little time. I don't, I don't, don't worry, fellas, because I'm going to get you out of here in time to see the Super Bowl. <laughs> Okay, uh, what I wanted to say, the church here at Franklin is as close to what we envisioned when we started as a small group some, well, actually to be exact, in 1983, we started as a core group for this congregation. Uh, as I said, the church is as close to what we envisioned uh, as it's ever been, but we've still got room to improve. We can do better. There's a few things I do want to say, and I know I'll leave out something. Uh, the church here at this time, I consider it to be a very great church. We have a good, solid eldership that, to lead us in God's word. We have working deacons that do their job well. We have good song leaders and many other workers. Uh, our ladies do a very good job with the things that they do. M much of it's behind the scenes, but we certainly appreciate what they do to take care of things. We have many new members, and we have a very good, great preacher and we need to keep him. I don't know of a better one. Uh, but I want to say this, you know, when things get good, the devil, Satan, goes around as a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. We need to always be on guard for what might come down the road, or we never know. I want to give you a little bit of perspective. Uh, Last week, the deacons put out a, a list of what our budget would be for the next for this year, and that was, I believe, $6,500 a week, and, and we made that on the board. We made that today. Uh, but I want to give you just a little bit of perspective. When this core group began this church, in 1983, 
The first time that we met was in the activity room of the Williamson County Bank on Murfreesboro Road. The money that we had was that Sunday's contribution. So you can see where we've come with our ups and downs and hadn't all been up. Uh, but I just wanted to give you that perspective of where we started and where we are now. Uh, the history of this church, uh, like I said, goes back to 1983. If you're interested in the progress from there to how we got here. I'd be glad to, to share that with you. I won't do that this morning, but if anyone's interested. Also, the history of the church in Franklin, Tennessee, which started back many years ago, uh, I don't remember the exact date, under the influence of Alexander Campbell. And probably you young people don't know, but in the early days, Christian, but the, the denominational world called us Camelites. So that's something you don't probably hear anymore. But anyway, if you're interested in that history, you can see Don A. there. He's done a lot of work on that, or myself, which uh, I'm probably not as up to it as he is. But uh, it's very interesting to know the history of the church in Franklin. Uh, that's all I've got to say at this time. I do want to say this one more time, that the devil is going around seeking whom he devour. So let's be on guard that we don't let him take over anything down the road. I appreciate your time and thank you very much.